0: Visit ViralGrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands.
2: Rachel, what's your go-to source for e-commerce trends and data?
1: You know, I would say religiously, I read newsletters from Forerunner Ventures and Liontree, the investment bank.
2: I love Arye; He's good people. Agreed. I think it's kind of weird that, like, e-commerce doesn't really have a trade group per se, but I do think there are a few select influencers that tend to be among the better curators of great content. I agree. And Sarah, I think
1: you've become one of them, at least for me. Yes. And so outside of Sarah, I would say Jason Goldberg, who leads commerce at Publicis, Jason Del Rey, the founder of Recode, Melissa Burdick, who is another badass woman that Sarah and I love from Packview. What about you, Sarah?
2: I rely on you, Rachel, because you're the best. Although I, I I do rely on a lot of the same people that you just said. My best source for e-commerce data and insights, NBG Chief Digital Officer, Don Brett. That dude has it
1: all. It's insane. He should launch his own media platform at this point.
2: I mean, don't let his boss hear, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, let's bring on this LinkedIn commerce influencer, Don Brett, onto the
2: show. Don, thank you so much for joining. We're thrilled to have you.
3: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
2: We have seen the title Chief Digital Officer at lots of brands. And so could you help us understand what that means in terms of span of control versus influence at NBG Home? And while you're at it, for our audience, can you tell the audience about what is NBG Home? Because they might know company better by the brands than the overarching mothership.
3: Sure, sure. We're a business unit focused on affordable home decor. So imagine everything in your home from picture frames, blankets, throws, outdoor patio accessories, all the things probably that all of us have looked in our house that we don't really love over the past few months that we needed to change. We manufacture really a good amount of those products. When we think about the largest retailers, the ones that would come to mind are pretty synonymous with a group of about 10. So we concentrate a lot of our focus there from a title perspective. You know, where I spend a lot of my time to your point chief digital officer, it's really a, a role focused on bringing forth, advancing, really casting a clear digital strategy, building an operating model and an org design around that strategy and then ensuring we have capabilities to propel the strategy forward. So in my scope, a lot of the focus sits on very commercial-facing functions uh, as well as operational. So sales, marketing, insights, uh, supply chain, and uh, with some support from finance.
1: So you've picked a great category to be chief digital officer. And Home decor sales are soaring. Yeah. Mostly because we're all spending a ton of time at home. I think the other part of it is that since... I think it's like nineteen seventy-five. I heard this stat just this week that Americans have more savings because they're not spending money on experiences and instead they're investing it in areas like their homes. Right. What are the big trends you've seen and what do you anticipate might change going into
3: 2021? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I think all of us, even as consumers, can can relate to that. You know, we've seen surges really across the business when you think about certain categories such as rugs side tables, accent tables, frames in and of themselves, hardwire lighting. The amount of uptick has been pretty consistent across the board amongst most of our categories. I I think the the surge will continue uh, as we go quarter to quarter to quarter. I I think what will be important for brands, though, in any category is They will have a a much more crowded space of consumers and and much more competition with regards to other brands. So how they're able to move consumers through top, mid and low funnel and ultimately repeat will be an interesting experiment next year, I think, across the board.
2: Based on your history, you've worked with almost every retailer out there. What do you think they should be doing differently than they currently are? And how can they help manufacturers more. I mean, sometimes that power struggle is a bit of a challenge.
3: Sure. Yeah. To your point, I've been in the space for, you know, north of 15 years and been fortunate to work with many, uh, you know, great retailers. You know, as I listened to a friend of mine, Marissa, who was on a couple episodes ago, and I think about the team at where she's at with Lowe's and That's a good example. Uh, You know, Mike, who runs who's leading uh, e-com for uh, for that business is really doing a great job. And when I think about what that means, it's it's really about, you know, stepping back. Retailers kind of stepping back and, and kind of recasting the vision of the big picture and 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 really within e-com to somewhat simplify. It's it's really about. Understanding the flywheel, not specific to one retailer, but categorically the flywheel of importance of ratings, optimized content, search excellence in stock, uh, the ability to convert, ultimately driving sales and really helping brands understand the flywheel and where they fit in and what's in it for them. You know, we are all very much in this space of digital and we live it and breathe it every day. But if we take a step back, there's pretty large brands that have opportunities and, and really some, I don't want to say unsophisticated capabilities. They just, they don't know what they don't know at this point and they're ready to advance and move forward. And so retailers to be able to kind of cast the vision to say, hey, here's how we think about the space. Here's how we want you to plug in and partner with us. And here's where we think value will be created from this partnership.
1: Selfishly, I want to ask you this because you didn't mention it when you talk about the flywheel effect. Where do you see things like paid social come into
3: play? It's a good point. You know, I think there's probably a couple of different areas that it would come into play. For us, we focus a lot on within our marketing pillar. There is a social resources focus on this linking back to drive traffic to you know our retailer pages. so I don't think it sits solely in one particular area. I think it kind of weaves its way throughout in combination with some social listening capabilities. You know, I think about Mimac, for instance, and the shopper marketing capability it provides for brands. I think it's kind of linking you know, the capabilities and, and being able to react to what's working and what's not.
2: I promise I did not pay Don to say that. Sarah might not believe me. <laughs> I actually do believe you. I think you've got enough endorsers already, whether on or not on the podcast. So Don, going to your pre-NBG Home Days, you spent 15 years at a very large company at Newell in a multitude of roles, which I think is great for somebody in your position. The last few were in e com Having worked at such a big company and knowing what has transpired over the course of the past year with consumer adoption of so many behaviors, like you said, about home decor and others, what do you think the blind spots are that they could be missing that a smaller company might not? And I don't mean Newell specifically. I just mean any big organization trying to make substantive change to the way they're thinking about things.
3: Sure. Yeah, I think that the ability, and I know it sounds, sounds simple, but the ability to understand the components of the flywheel and how to make it spin are really something that I think larger companies perhaps tend to gloss over with resources and people, uh, meaning, um, you know, maybe indirectly larger teams equals a greater ability to drive value creation that is not always the truth in my experience and learnings is understanding the flywheel, understanding the capabilities needed and and partnerships in the space. I think of both of you all who both are running companies. Those are a couple of capabilities that brands need in conjunction with five or six others that sit in their tech stack to enable the flywheel to spin. So I think it's a bit of just the, the holistic nature of being able to make it all work and not being so big that you lose the ability to make it work. I think there's perhaps um, a complacency is not the right word, but perhaps a a view that pure brand power alone in digital is enough to uh, assure that you always win the sale. And I think probably in all of our journeys, we might see that that's not the case. Uh, even specifically with the pandemic, safety stock levels and stock levels in stores and online dropped, uh, we saw a lot of shifting into uh, previously uh, brands that did not have the type of uh, adoption by consumers. So I think brand is important for sure, but I think the ability to make sure there's a full understanding of digital shelf excellence, ratings and reviews, supply chain excellence, to ensure uh, that you're able to kind of keep the moat around your uh, success.
1: I mean, some examples to build on what you just said, you know, Coca-Cola has really struggled this year because they haven't necessarily built out their entire tech stack and go to market around e-com. And then you look at the closing of retailers like Century 21 that had no e-commerce presence, but then the success of someone like Dick's Sporting Goods who really have invested in, in e-com over the last five years, you know, Don, Sarah and I are probably some of your biggest fans on LinkedIn. You're pretty much a media property. It's insane how good you are at LinkedIn. So everyone listening should follow Don if you want to know how to build thought leadership on LinkedIn. How do you get access to all of this content? And what's your lens when it comes to curation and and how you think about LinkedIn?
3: First off, I I appreciate that. I I think you guys might influence me more than I have influence you. So uh, I would just just say, you know, I really appreciate the sense of community that LinkedIn brings to the space. And I I would say, honestly, that I, I am someone who spends a lot of time reading. Uh, I spend a lot of time in peer groups of other CMOs or CDOs or CGOs or, you know, chief growth officers, chief marketing officers, chief digital officers, and really helping one another understand, obviously not really in competitive spaces with one another, but understanding the challenges that we're all facing, how we can navigate things more uh, effectively, how we can be you know better uh, at um, what we're doing today but also the up and coming technologies that can be deployed i think i also too have the fortune of spending so much time in a space that i have developed a lot of industry outside of peer groups just friends and relationships that have spanned out into kind of the universe And staying in touch with uh, staying in touch with that group has really, really helped. But at the end of the day, probably maybe perhaps what drives the most of maybe some of the engagement is I really talk about what I'm interested in. And uh, I would add probably very little value on nearly probably every other subject. But this subject, I certainly sit right in the middle of and, and enjoy speaking about with peers.
2: Well, we're very thankful for it because the more we elevate the conversation, the better off we're all going to be in our ability to help the companies that we're supporting, whether internally or externally. Um, can I just go back to a different thing that you had said previously? Because you were talking about how companies need to, you know, kind of get it right, and you talked about the digital shelf being super important. Obviously, at the topic, very, very near and dear to my heart. As somebody who's been in that job, when I say that job, I mean like all of the different roles that got you to where you are today. How do you see different functions embracing or not these changes? And what advice do you have to our listeners about how they can break down perhaps that lack of curiosity or willingness to learn?
3: Sure. It's a great, great question. I think, There's a couple of things that I was honestly thinking about prior to our call, not even the reason to believe. But if you just step back and say, how do we think about this space? If you're, if you're a larger brand or a brand that maybe hasn't invested in capabilities, hasn't invested in people, uh, the way that you perhaps you think you should or, you know, the, and in our space, quite honestly, the FOMO factor is real, right? The nobody wants to miss out on a move and share or growth of a category, and, and they do not uh, participate. So, I think there's a couple of messages. The first is we're really just at the beginning. If I just paint a high level picture for a moment, you know, if we look at approximately six trillion dollars in retail sales in the U.S., and this is approximate; it's not really six, it's like five point eight or high level. You know, We've got less than a trillion of that in e-com and about five trillion of that in brick and mortar. When we look at e-com this year, the growth of the space, close to 30%, and you look at brick and mortar, is declining at, at three. Now, that's not to say that brick and mortar is ever going to go away, right? None of us probably inherently think that, but it's more about how, how do we position our business strategically and from a capability perspective to where this is going and it's just very clear, this is where it's moving. And now whether the penetration rate of e-com as a percentage of total sales in the US, it probably will never get to 40%. Maybe it will. You know, in China and other areas in, in Europe, it's it's in the north of 30% range. But we're clearly have a, a, a several years of run runway in the space. Uh, so making sure we invest in, in people and capabilities, I think one of the things I've found beneficial and helpful as I've gone on my journey, some of my learnings have been being as clear as possible with the organization with regards to what the strategy is and being very clear and simple. Here's where we're at. Here's where we see some evolutionary steps in countries and categories and customers and capabilities from a digital perspective. And Sarah, you mentioned it before. I spent several. I did several roles in my prior life. Of I did some roles in M and did some roles in uh, trade marketing. Some roles in customers uh, facing roles. Some in digital. So I kind of maybe have learned along my journey. This is kind of incorporating some of that. But just being very clear about uh, you know where we see some evolutionary steps occurring, so we can invest appropriately. And then I think finally, probably the most important is designing the operating model of the company to enable and support the strategy. There's nothing worse than a beautiful strategy with a huge addressable market that is, you know, super compelling, but then there's really no investments in, in the operating model to actually execute that. So that would be my, uh, my feedback.
1: Well, Don, we've reached the point where we get to ask our favorite question. What is the bravest thing that you've ever done?
3: So I thought about this and I'm going to give a two-part answer, personal and professional. I'll give up the professional reply first. Making the full jump into e-com, I, for several years, moved into various roles in a bigger CPG. And uh, at the time that I jumped Feet first into digital, I would say, believe it or not, it was not the most popular idea. I was on a track to probably a general management type of role in, in a brick and mortar type of capacity. And I was very intrigued by digital and I was very interested to learn more. And I saw what was happening in the space and I raised my hand or both hands And said, I'm ready to jump. And uh, I couldn't have been more happy that I did make the jump. I would say that many perhaps around me probably expected that I would come back in a few months and uh, knock on the door to come back into where I was at. And I would say I continued on the path and uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have changed a thing from a personal perspective. I'm going to try to be somewhat lighthearted because this might be generate a oh that's that's not the the best answer but honestly my view of time is probably distorted by my mother passed away when I was mid 20s early 20s actually like 21 22 when I spoke at her funeral it was the most probably brave personal thing I've done And what it did, it it honestly, it gave me a perspective that if I wanted to do something personally or professionally, I had a window of time to do it. And it was not an indefinite amount of time to, to achieve whatever goals I had for myself or career or my family or any of those things. It just was very finite. So, you know, honestly, I don't know that I would have made some of the moves that I've made in in my life, had it not been for that occurring. So through that, I would say, you know, she continues to support me. Um, And I I think when, whenever my time does come, I I think I would expect she'll be right up there saying, I told you he would do it. I told you he would do it. So I'm just going to keep chipping away until I get there.
2: Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Honestly. Thank you, Don, for sharing. Wow. Thank you so much for joining. We are so thankful to have the diversity of your thought on the podcast and uh, really just overall, very appreciative.
3: No, likewise. I love what you all are doing and love the sense of community that this brings and our space is very small and it's great to help one another along in our journeys.
2: Thank you for joining us, Don. Check him out on LinkedIn. I guarantee that he will be a fantastic source for you. Next week, we're joined by Will Yen, Director of National E-Commerce Account at Pabst Brewing Company.
1: Be sure to like and subscribe on all podcasting platforms and tune in every Monday for new episodes of Brave Commerce.
0: Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company?